2: LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD.
1: Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 310 of Linux in the Hamshack. This happens to be recorded on Memorial Day. Not Memorial Day, sorry. Veterans Day. Day.
3: (laughs) 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 Day.
0: Shall we start again?
1: Let me start again. (laughs) (laughs) What day Uh, is it? Our Day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 310 of Linux in the Ham Shack, which was recorded on the 11th of November 2019, which is Veterans Day, not Memorial Day. (laughs) 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 So, So we want to thank all of our veterans for their service. And then we'll just jump right into things. This is our Deep Dive episode, and tonight we're going to be talking about digital mobile radio, otherwise known as DMR. I'm your host, Russ K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl W5MOO.
1: And I'm Bill in 4rd And Bill is in the middle of recording, or not recording, but performing in an <laughs> opera. Well, yes. he's being recorded some, too, apparently. For yeah. three, three seconds at a time. <laughs>
3: Only by crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who is that guy? So, no, it's funny, they, they just ran a story on it, and uh, and they called it the Mirage of Figaro. <laughs>
0: interesting. The Mirage of Figaro, nice. Yeah, our,
3: our local news is notorious for bad teleprompter writers. And, oh yeah, uh, ours is too. And like the bad, you know, the lower third or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> we always look for the errors and it was like she's definitely reading Mirage. It's not like it, she can't read marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Someone mm. has messed up her teleprompter. <laughs> so uh, uh yeah, so I'm in a small production of uh Marriage A Figaro. And uh we, we took the uh what would what would normally be a three and a half hour opera and condensed it down to about uh, two hours and 20 minutes maybe a little less um you know keeping all the content that uh is necessary for the story (laughs) because it's it's actually
0: cliff notes of a play
3: yeah yeah so it's uh you know some of the singing parts were turned into dialogue to shorten it up that's kind of how we uh how we uh, shortened it and um I, I think it's good. I think, I think it's really good. And, uh, not cause I'm in it. Uh, <laughs> I just play the, uh, the drunk, uh, gardener. How appropriate. And, uh, so I come on very late in act two and, uh, I kind of reappear. My name is mentioned several times cause I work for the count. So, uh, I'm his gardener and I'm also like, you know, well, I don't know. I'm like the uncle of the main character, Susanna and, uh, my daughter's barberina so yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting, crazy day in uh, in the land of uh, wherever the heck they are. You know, <laughs> Italy. It's normally Italian. It's all sung in English, so uh, that that's also a nice part. It makes it uh, more familiar for people that uh, you know have heard the music and maybe you know have only seen it on you know Bugs Bunny or a commercial or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> fun. It's really fun and I'm having a good time with it. So uh I can't really complain. That's the one and- that they always do that goes it's like a la 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 Ax- actually that is the barbara of seville that's uh, barbara of seville okay but see, that's what i know about same opera. characters Yuck. same characters
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so uh yeah it's this continuation of the story so it's the same story just continuation of it but uh but yeah yeah you're you're close that's really, okay it's still mozart, <laughs> mozart. it's still mozart I was still on Planet <laughs> <Earth>. okay <laughs> fantastic
1: so digital mobile radio <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, is that what we're here for? Yeah. About yeah, the three hour episode, episode right. we were just going to start the opera playing yeah, here. Nice, Let me, uh, get the- <laughs> nice segue into uh, digital mobile there from, from the marriage of Figaro. Yes, 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 They have a cure for that DMR thing, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> is that what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It's called. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So DMR is a limited open digital mobile radio standard defined in the European Telecommunication Standard Institute's standard TS-102-361 parts 1 through 4. There's a bunch of information you didn't need to know. Um, <laughs> it's uh, also used, well, originally used in commercial products around the world, starting, of course, in the European Union. Uh, DMR, along with P25 Phase 2 and NXDN, are the main competitor technologies in achieving 6.25 kHz equivalent bandwidth using the proprietary AMBI Plus 2 vocoder. DMR and P252 both use two-slot TDMA in a 12.5 kHz channel. So that means you get two time slots inside the channel. While NXDN uses discrete 6.25 kHz channels using frequency division. So we're going to be talking about DMR, which uses time division, not frequency division. DMR was designed with three tiers. DMR Tiers 1 and Tier 2 were first published in 2005. And DMR Tier 3, which is the trunked version, was published in 2012 with manufacturers producing products within a few years of each publication. <clears throat> now, Amateur Radio is leveraging DMR Tier 2 for its communications options. DMR Tier 1 is uh, Europe-specific, and DMR 3 is trunking, so we're not using that. Uh, DMR covers the RF range from 30 megahertz all the way up to 1 gigahertz. and the DMR Association and of Manufacturers often claim the DMR superior coverage performance to analog FM. I tried to get rid of all the UEs, but I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, forward error correction can achieve a higher quality of voice when the received signal is still relatively high. In practice, however, digital modulation protocols are much more susceptible to multipath interference and fail to provide service in areas where... Anal- oh, there's more. Analog. <laughs> analog. FM would otherwise provide degraded but audible voice services. Yeah, so the thing about these digital FM things is when the signal's not good, you don't hear anything. It's not... It's not like it's... Right. right. So you get garbled to the point of unintelligibility. It's not like the signal's just weak and you can sort of pull it out. Um, When you have uh, high bit error rates or high packet loss in a digital transmission, you just get nothing. (laughs) So, uh, at a higher quality of voice, DMR outperforms analog FM by about 11 dB, but at lower quality of voice, analog outperforms DMR by about 5 dB. So... But we're going to get into briefly at the end of this, uh, with the advent of things like hotspots, you don't really have to worry about degraded signals because you're only transmitting about 10 feet usually. And uh, you can usually get a pretty good SNR <laughs> at 10 feet. Um, so since this was taken from a commercial spec, you have to have radios that support it. And there are many radios out there made by different manufacturers. The ones that I'm most familiar with are the ones that are uh made by AnyTone, Motorola, Taitera, and Baofeng. They they're the ones that are kind of really popular because they're on the cheaper side and, you know, pretty widely available. And so if you get on a hotspot and you start talking DMR, the chance that you're talking to somebody who owns an AnyTone or a Taitera is really really high. Um, but there are other versions. There's Motorola Kenwood, uh, Hytera uh, any Secu Connect systems, Kydera, Vertex, and more. So, you know, there's a lot of different hardware out there. One thing I haven't found is a lot of uh, hardware that supports DMR and something else. It's pretty much DMR and nothing. Uh, most DMR equipment supports analog on the same frequencies. Like if you have a UHF DMR. Radio, you can also do analog UHF, but I've noticed that when I use my DMR radio, I never program it for analog because if you're going to use DMR, I guess you're going to use DMR. So there you go. Um, plus, um, have you ever, do you have any DMR in your area, Bill? Like a repeater that supports DMR?
3: No, this is montucky We don't have any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've looked on there. I think there might be like one, but it's not, not here, <laughs> not in Billings. So,
1: well the only reason I'm bringing it up is because you know these radios can do DMR and analog so you can you can use um but
3: you know, I already have an analog one.
1: Right. And and that's exactly <laughs> my point. You you wouldn't really use this for for analog. And the problem is any any repeater that supports DMR uh-huh You can't really use analog anyway, because if you ever hear a repeater that's, that's transmitting DMR, it's basically just a bunch of really raucous noise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So you can't, you can't uh, connect to it analog anyway. So you'd have to be using a different UHF repeater. And I don't know a lot of people that are walking around with UHF anti-talkies anyway. Um, I know I don't. (laughs) Um, so anyway, there's, We've we've talked about this a little bit in the past, especially when we were talking with Andy Taylor about Pi Star, um, because that's how a lot of people are getting into DMR these days. Because it's really easy to just get a Raspberry Pi, a Pi Hat, or a USB connected DMR you know hotspot arrangement, and then use your little handy talkie somewhere around your hotspot, and that's the easiest way to connect to it. Because there aren't a lot of repeaters yet that are doing that are supporting DMR and of course even if you there is one somewhere you have to be close enough to reach it so most people start with the hotspot scenario that's how i started with it and i know if you get on DMR and you start talking to people you're going to hear lots of people who are using hotspots in pi star so <clears throat> um the the learning curve the thing the thing that catches people about DMR is programming the radio because it's not the same as just pulling out your regular fm you know like your mobile or your handy talkie putting in a frequency of pl and that's it you're you're good to go you know you program 250 frequencies for for all of the repeaters in your town and uh then then you're on the air dmr doesn't work that way it's based on a commercial spec and there's huh
3: no sorry no. (laughs) <laughs> my phone started making noise for some reason uh, well, it sounded weirdly satanic there yeah. <laughs> 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 i was like why is it playing something I was like that's <laughs> silly anyway
1: yeah so so the pro so the way this works is instead of you know like i said just programming in a frequency and uh, maybe a pl tone and a shift there's a lot more work to be done to get the radio in operating status once you have your configuration done, it's a lot easier, or it it, it makes a, a certain amount of sense, and then you don't have to sort of reinvent the wheel every time you need to change something. But um, there is that sort of learning curve. So um, we'll talk a little bit first about the software that you need to program these radios, and this discussion for at least our program is going to be a little bit centric on the Taitera MD380 because that's the radio I have. But I think you'll be able to translate what I say between that radio and any other DMR radio the only difference maybe you have to use a different software package to write the the code which is called a code plug so if you've heard the term code plug which i'm sure you have all that means is it's a block of code that gets written to a radio you can think of it like a firmware image so if you think of it like a firmware image your DMR radio has two firmwares it has the boot firmware, which is the thing that boots up, powers up all the you know hardware devices and gets you into an operating state similar to like a Linux kernel. And then there's the operating firmware, which is the code plug. And that's what contains like your call sign, your DMR ID, your channels, zones, uh, operating frequencies and so forth. And that's the one you have to program first before you can get on with DMR. So we're going to talk a little bit about the software that you use to do that. And in the case of the TITERA, it comes with a software package called CPS, uh, which is put out by TITERA. It's Windows only, and it's terrible, as you might expect, but it does the job. So knowing that it was crap and that someone could do better, um, a group wrote a package called uh, Edit CP. And that is Linux native. Can't remember off the top of my head what it's written in. Uh, I think it's either C or Python, or a combination of the two. But what it is is a code plug editor that runs on Linux. It actually runs on anything, but it's it's supposed to be for Linux. And the nice thing about Edit CP is it also comes with a, additional functionality called what is it? MD tools or MD three hundred and eighty tools? I think it's MD three hundred and eighty tools.
3: It's written in Go, just so you know.
1: It's written in Go. Okay. Yeah. Fine. It's written in Go. Uh, there's also MD380 tools, which allows you, which is partly, which is a way to load an, an, uh, a boot firmware onto your Taitera MD380, which gives it advanced functionality, including the ability to load the entire radio ID database onto your radio and gives you additional programming options as well. We're not really going to talk about that specifically because it's specific to that radio. And it's not necessary for the operation of DMR. It's just something you can do if you have one of these and want a little bit extra you know, play time with your radio. I don't know. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk a little bit about edit CP and, and establishing your code plug. Now I will say that if you go out there on the, on the interwebs, you can find pre-built code plugs for various radios that are usually location specific. So if you don't want to go through the trouble of creating your own code plug, you can, um, download one of these onto your radio. Uh, in the case of a, a, edit CP file, it'll be an RDT. That'll be the extension for it. And, uh, you, you can just use edit CP to write that to your radio and you'll have, you know, you'll have somebody else's code plug installed on your radio, which will have whatever they programmed, you know, for your machine, whatever channels, contact, zones, etc., that they pr- put into that code plug, that's what's going to be written to your radio. So you're going to have to modify it a little bit, and I'll tell you in what ways you need to modify that or what ways you need to uh, write your own code plug right now, because <laughs> we're going to talk about programming DMR. So if you bring up the Edit CP interface, it's very simple. It's like a, it's like an old x11 root window type thing with just a few buttons down the left-hand side. But honestly, this is all you really need to program your radio. And a lot of the information that's in there is for some, like, really esoteric configurations that might be necessary in bizarre circumstances. But for the most part, you can ignore a lot of it. So the parts that are relevant that you need to set up for your code plug start with... um, Well, actually, before I jump into that, I know we talked about this a little bit when we talked to Andy about PyStar. Um, There's a couple of terms that are worth mentioning here before I get into programming. The first one is color code. This is something you'll have to program in your code plug when you're assigning channels. And what it is is a number between, I think it's 1 and 15, and you can think of it like a PL tone. Uh, it is literally so that you can have multiple conversations on the same, you know, channel, the same frequency that other people can't hear because you have a color code set. Generally speaking, from what I've seen, most repeaters and hotspots use color code one or color code five. I haven't seen a lot of variation on that. And for the most part, it's color code one. So just make sure when you're programming stuff that if there's a color code specified, which there will be, your color code has to match. The other thing is time slot. Now, if you're using a hotspot that's in simplex mode, there's only one utilized time slot, and that's time slot two. So if you're on a hotspot, whatever you're programming is going to be on time slot two. Now, if you're using a repeater, if you're connecting to a repeater, because they're using time division multiplexing and there are two channels, there could be connectivity to some channels on time slot one and some channels on time slot two. And the repeater operators will publish that information. So you'll know which time slot you have to program. So just make sure when you're setting up your radio that color codes and time slots match. And like I say, color codes essentially a PL tone. And time slot is literally the time slot, whether it's on channel one, first time slot or channel two, second time slot. And this is so there can be actually two conversations going on in two different time slots simultaneously. And that's only in duplex mode. So simplex boards do not support multiple time slots. They're always on time slot two. <clears throat> uh, wow. I knew this was going to be a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: you want to jump in and say anything at all? So you're saying you can't have two up and talking at the same time?
1: Um no, you can have two at the same time. The re- the
3: repeater can. The repeater can receive more than one person talking at one time. At one time them. as long as they're on different time slots. Yes. <clears throat> but you said like everybody should set a time slot too when they be in the same time slot?
1: If you're if you're connecting to your own hotspot. Oh, okay you will be on time slot two because hotspots only support time slot two. If you have a duplex hotspot or a duplex repeater board, Mm -hmm. you could configure time slots one and two,
3: but most people aren't going to be doing that. So, but like a repeater. um, So just give me this, you know, I'm just trying to still put this in my head. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but I don't understand it all. So let's say you're connected to a repeater, not your own hotspot. So let's say you're in a magical area that has a DMR repeater. Yes. Which I mean, which I would assume gives you access to connect to a DMR talk group or whatever or person Yes. through that repeater. That is correct. Does everybody else on that repeater hear your stuff? If, or they're, if are they are they're they're set to the same color code and time slot and the same frequency, Yes. So no matter what you're connected to, they'll hear you. Yes.
1: It works just like a normal repeater.
3: It's kind of like an echo link link where it's like, oh, once it's turned on, it's on. Right. That's where you're going to. Right. Until someone changes it. So Uh, like two people can't use a repeater going to two different places at once. Unless
1: they're using separate time slots.
3: That's the only way Uh. you could do that. Okay. I'm okay, I'm almost getting this now.
1: Okay. <laughs> you can have one person using one color code, one time slot and one talk group and then you can have another person. I mean, generally speaking the color codes are going to be the same because that's the PL tone for the repeater. Okay. But you can have two different conversations going on to two different talk groups as long as they are connected on different time slots. So you can have, you know, you can have time slot 1 connected to like talk group 93 which is um, nationwide, U.S. Mm-hmm. nationwide. And you could have time slot 2 connected to, I don't know, 91, which is worldwide. Yeah. And then whichever, ra- whichever your radio is configured for, like if your radio is connected to that frequency with that color code on time slot 1, you'll be hearing talk group 93. If it's time slot
3: 2, you'll be hearing talk group 91. So and do you get an indication of what it's connected to when you switch to that that particular time slot the radio will display the talk group the time slot
1: and the color code if the firmware supports it if so it,
3: yeah like you don't get any feedback like if you transmit it and it doesn't give you feedback right away like oh yeah you're connected to talk group 91
1: no nope if you uh if you if you think you're on the right frequency color code and time slot <laughs> And your radio is set to be on channel, you know, talk group ninety one, and you key up, you will not get any indication that that's correct unless you hear somebody talking.
3: <laughs> wow, that's incredibly useless. I mean, uh, <laughs> and people like this thing. <laughs> it's kind well, of like chat roulette when you get on a repeater, huh?
1: <laughs> a, a little bit, a little bit. Now, <clears throat> there, there's, um, we're kind of getting ahead of things here <laughs> sorry
3: I, I just that's like that's my confusing part i just didn't quite all right understand let me let me d- let me belay
1: this conversation to when we get into the actual networks involved and then we'll sort of make clear how talk groups and all that kind of thing work <laughs> okay that's but great. we'll back up to programming the radio first and then we'll get to that <laughs> so all right so color codes time slots right now when you're using uh edit cp or something specifically for the Titera and I'm going to assume you can translate this generally speaking to other radios. I assume their code blog editors will be similar. Um, some basic information you need to set will be the radio's name. This can be anything. I put my call sign in for this, and a lot of the tutorials I've seen suggest that's what you use to call the radio is your call sign. It's a, it's an identifier that is really meaningless, but you know, call it whatever you want. There's your radio ID. Now this, Is probably the most important piece of data you actually have to put into your radio. You have to have a radio ID, and you have to put it into your radio. So how do I get a radio ID? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have to go to the radio ID website, and I'm going to bring it up here because I forgot what it is. I think it's radioid.net is the website, and what they do is you just sign up, you give them a call sign and i can't remember but i think in some cases they ask you for your um your id your fcc id your uh yeah what the hell is it F- frn frn that thing yeah um and then they will assign you a an id for dmr and once you ass- once you have that id it's linked to your call sign in the radio ID.net database and that id is what you need to put into your radio
0: you also need to go uh, send a copy of your. Yeah, you have to give license. a copy of your license. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A photo thereof, or I guess you can mail it if you don't have that
0: technology. You, well, no, they they wanted, when I signed up for it, they wanted uh, a PDF of the original. I couldn't right. send like the email or anything like that with my license in it. I had to go hunt down the original, you know, do that. And so. that's another
1: thing you can get from the ULS. You can download an official copy of your license. Uh, from the FCC ULS so they have to have that and like I said they'll assign you an ID number and once you have that ID number then you can get on to the, the various networks um so that number goes into your radio and that's another thing that has to match if there's no matching um you know DMR ID in your radio it won't do anything so you got to have that it's not hard to get you just usually have to wait a few hours and you know once you send them the information you've got it you're all set. So. That's important information. So your radio name, your radio ID, uh, if it asks for a radio programming password, you should probably set that. That will allow you to make changes from the keypad on your radio, uh, if there, if that's necessary. And then there's information about the intro screen. You can have the default like image screen or you can put your call sign on it or something like that. You can set that as desired, not required. Uh, there's a, there's a button for setting menu items. And what this means is there are checkboxes that will allow you to set what your radio menus will display, what options are available to you from your keypad. So set those accordingly. Um, then you can set button definitions, and there are several different buttons on any of these DMR radios, and you can actually program in the code plug what the buttons do, like whether they change from low to high power, whether they switch zones, um, you know, Just program the functionality of the keys. So, obviously, set those accordingly. Uh, Text messages, you can preset text messages because DMR supports text. I have never actually sent a text via DMR, uh, but apparently it can be done. So, if you want to preset text, you can do that. And then we get into the meat of it. Now, I wish the buttons were in a logical order for how you need to do this, but they're not. (laughs) So, don't go in order or you get very confused. The first thing you need to do when you're setting up your code plug is to create contacts. What contacts are are literally the things you're going to connect to. This could be individual DMR IDs, i.e. people, or talk groups. So what you would set, you know, you'd go to one of the DMR networks, and you would look up what the talk groups are, figure out what talk groups you want to connect to and then those would be what you would use in your code block so we've mentioned a couple of those already uh 91 is worldwide and 93 is uh nationwide nationwide being the u.s and there are tons and tons and tons of other talk groups now i'm speaking in this case about the brandmeister dmr network and there's more than one but we're going to talk a little bit about networks in a minute I hate to put off all this information, but I'm trying to keep us in some sort of logical order. But anyway, we're going to assume for the purposes of our discussion right now that you're connecting to the Brandmeister DMR network because they have a certain set of talk groups. And what that means is when your hotspot is connected to the network, it will be going and talking to Brandmeister servers. And that will be passing the information back and forth between your hotspot uh, or repeater and um, the Internet. And like I said, there are other networks. Uh, there's DMR Mark, there's DMR Plus, And you can connect to any or all of those using your radio. You just have to set them accordingly. And each one is a different set of talkers. But like I said, for the purposes of this discussion, we're just talking about Brandmeister. So first thing you need to set up, as I've already said, is contacts. So a contact consists of four items. The first thing is a name. And this is an arbitrary name string. You just call it what you want. So if the the ID is, say, 93, and you know that that is the Brandmeister Nationwide U.S. Talk Group, then you could call the name of it Nationwide or U.S. National or something that just lets you know what that talk group actually is. Or maybe Brandmeister 93 or something like that, if you understand what that actually is. Then you have to set the type. The type is either uh, personal or group. So in other words, this is whether you're talking to a single user ID, a single DMR ID, i.e. a person, or a talk group. And it should be obvious which of those you're setting. And then there's an optional tone. Um, I've never actually set that, so I don't even know what it's used for. <laughs> um, but apparently it's used for something. Uh, maybe one of those security features, like you can have multiple people talking on the same talk group with different tones so that some people will hear some things with a certain tone. Some people won't. And hopefully, if that's incorrect, someone who knows more about DMR in the chat room will uh let me know. <laughs> uh But in the meantime, wow, there's all kinds of chat going on in there. Somebody will have to fill me in on all the stuff that's going on while I'm talking. Yeah,
3: um I'm watching it.
1: Okay, you're watching it. Okay, so you set up contacts first, and that's important. You must do that first, because if you don't do that first, the rest of this gets confusing. (laughs) Second, after you've set up all the contacts, you don't have to set them all up first. You know, I would set up a few, pick a few talk groups that you want to connect to just to get the feel for this. And then, once you have those contacts set up, you need to set up a channel. Now, a channel is kind of like a wrapper around a contact. What it does is... It lets you specify things like the frequency of the repeater you're connecting to, the um, mode of the, the channel, whether it's analog or digital, the color code and time slot, which we mentioned that, because if you're connecting to a particular repeater, it's going to have a specific color code and time slot. Um, like the power output of your radio, whether it's low or high, you can specify that per talk group or per contact. And the reason this is important is because, let's say, for example, your area has two DMR enabled talk group, or DMR enabled repeaters, and you're also using a hotspot. Well, you could connect to Talk Group 93 on any of those, but you know, so not, so Talk Group 93 is one of your contacts, which you've already defined. But in order to connect to that talk group on the three different connected methods, i.e. repeater one, repeater two, or your hotspot, there's going to be different frequencies, different time slots, and different color codes for each one of those, most likely. So the point there being, you'll have to set up a, a, uh, a channel for repeater one with the proper frequency, color code, and time slot that connects to talk group 93 you'll have to set up one for repeater two that connects to talk group 93. And then you have to set up one for your hotspot that connects to talk group 93 because your connection to talk group 93 through each of those three methods is going to be different, different frequency, different color code, different time slot. So you have to have that. That's why you do the contacts first. So you can associate them with multiple channels. So then once you, once you create the channels for the different methods, you're going to, you know, Connect. Like for example, I have I have channels defined for multiple talk groups that I'm going to connect to my hotspot to talk on. And those same channels I also have for a local repeater that I want to talk on. So when I'm at home, I connect through my hotspot. And when I'm near the repeater, I connect to it that way. Stay, same talk groups same contacts, just different RF frequencies, color code, time slot. And then because the radio doesn't have like an unlimited number of um tunable frequencies. In the case of the TITERA MD three eighty, it only has sixteen. And I don't know if that's the case across all DMR radios, but it might be. That might be part of the spec. So because you can only tune to sixteen channels on any you know at any given time, the code plug editor allows you to create zones. And each zone is a group of 16 channels. Now, the idea behind a zone is you create a group that's going to be useful when you're near your hotspot or a zone that'll be useful when you're near repeater one and another zone that'll be useful when you're near repeater two so that you're able to connect to all those channels when you're in range of whatever you're going to be using DMR on. And like I said, at least on the TITERA, that's a maximum of 16 channels. So you define 16 different contacts. You create maybe up to 48 different channels if you're going to set them all up for repeater 1, all for repeater 2, and all for your hotspot. And then you put the channels for repeater 1 in zone 1, the channels for repeater 2 in zone 2, and the channels for your hotspot in zone 3. And those can be arbitrarily named as well. So you can call one repeater one or a call sign or location or something like that. You can do the same with number two, and then you can call number three hotspot. So then once you're done with all that, then there's two more things you have to deal with. You don't have to deal with these, but they're kind of important, and I'm hopefully going to break these down in a useful way. But before I do that, let me find out if anybody has any questions. (laughs) um because i bet there's at least
3: one (laughs) uh right now there's just a discussion about the different uh areas of town in chicago that either have d star or dmr (laughs) based upon the class separation (laughs) interesting and what was available i suppose (laughs) yeah probably
1: all right. So let's say, I mean, like I said, if you, if you need a in-depth, um, like step-by-step tutorial on how to do this stuff, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube and I'm probably going to be putting out some DMR utility information as well. Um, but this is just to get you the idea. So I just want the point of this is to make sure you understand that you do contacts first, then channels, then zones. Um, and I'm hoping that my definition of those three things is, is adequate, but. There's a couple other things you have to know about defining channels. There, there are two concepts that are related to channels. One is called a scan list and one's called a receive group. And the difference is every channel that you program into a radio. So you define a contact, let's say talk group 91. You put it into a channel to connect channel, you know, to connect to talk group 91 on your hotspot. And then you put that in zone called hotspot. So if that's all you did, and then you were connected to your hotspot with that radio, the only thing you could hear is talk group 91. That may be exactly what you want, but it might not be. (laughs) So the idea of scan list and receive groups is you can define for every channel. So if you're tuned into your hotspot on channel one, which is connected to talk group 91, If you only want to hear Talk Group 91, that's fine. If you want to hear more than Talk Group 91, you have to define a receive group. And you can put any number of contacts that you have defined in your code plug into a receive group. And if whatever device you're connected to is transmitting from any one of those channels, you'll hear it on channel one. Um, This sounds great in theory, except DMR has the idea that unless you override it, you're not allowed to transmit when someone else is transmitting on a particular channel. And that's great. That's great. Except if someone contacts you on Talk Group 91 and you're listening to 40 talk groups, if someone else is talking on any one of those other talk groups, you can't go back to the person who's talking to you because the radio is receiving and it won't let you. So you have to wait until there's no traffic at all on your channel to transmit again so they have a purpose but i would use them sparingly um receive groups they sound like a great idea and i thought they were a great idea when i started using dmr they're not a good idea don't use them <laughs> unless you know exactly what you're getting yourself into uh, the other idea is scan list and a scan list is exactly what it sounds like but you have to define it per channel again so What I do is I create a zone that has 16 channels in it, and then I create a a scan list that has those 16 channels as well, and I associate that with every single channel so that no matter what channel my radio is connected to, if I turn scanning on, then it will literally scan through all 16 frequencies. The nice thing about this is that if something... Trips on a frequency on a different talk group, for example, you can just retune your radio to whatever channel you are on and not be, or, and, or turn scanning off and not be bothered by that other conversation. This is, this to me is much more useful than receive groups because you won't get caught up in a bunch of other people's conversations. And scanning is literally something you can turn on and off at will per channel. So if your radio is tuned to channel one, which is your connection to talk group 91 and you're scanning and someone comes in and starts having a conversation on talk group like 3129 you'll hear it until you turn scanning off and then you'll be able to transmit on channel you know channel one talk group 91 without issue if you're using a receive group and someone starts talking on a different talk group you're stuck until you until there's no conversation on any talk group that you're receiving and that can be problematic so hopefully that makes clear the difference between a receive group and a scan list um code plug editors will allow you to set a scan list and a receive group at the same time for any channel i wouldn't do that you know choose one choose the one that works for you and you know set accordingly but if i had to choose between the two and i have chosen between the two i would recommend using scan lists it just makes more sense so let's see anything else. Uh, there's also the idea that some some radios are GPS-enabled. Uh, there's configuration in the code block, code block editors to uh, set GPS information. Uh, my particular radio is not GPS-enabled, so I haven't had to mess with that. But the configuration for GPS is pretty straightforward. So if you have one of those, uh, it shouldn't be hard to figure out how to set it up correctly. So let's go down to... A little bit of uh, operating practice, and this will come back to what Bill was asking about on time slots and so on, uh, and a little bit about networks, and a little bit about just the operation of DMR and talk groups in general. So once you've got your radio ID, you'll eventually be in the database. Then you'll be able to connect to the networks. Like I said, there are multiple networks. Uh, Brandmeister is the one that I use most, but, of course, there's DMR Mark, and there's DMR Plus. And there are actually a couple of others, too. And what they just are is some servers that provide connectivity. And you can use a hotspot or a repeater to connect to those different network servers that will give you access to the talk groups that are on them. I think I think at the moment, BrandMeister is the largest network. It has tons and tons and tons of talk groups. And some of them are pretty active. So you really shouldn't need to go far afield from Brandmeister, but if you want to see what some of those other talk groups are on the other networks, I mean, you can certainly do that, but they are specific to the operation of the repeater or the hotspot that you're connected to. So if you're, if it's your own hotspot, you can switch, switch networks at will. You can be on DMR plus or Brandmeister anytime you want to make the change. If you're connected to a repeater, the repeater operator is going to have chosen a network to be connected to. And there there will be information from the repeater uh, owner which network they're connected to, whether it's DMR Plus or BrandMeister or whatever. And in any network, there's the idea, there's the concept of a static talk group and a dynamic talk group. So the way that works is, the repeaters are going to be pre-configured with static talk groups. Usually there's a talk group like one or two, which is local. There'll be a talk group for emergency. Um, and then there will be network talk groups, like they may connect the repeater to talk group 91 and talk group 3129. And any anything that comes over those talk groups will be transmitted All the time because they're static, but let's say you're connected to a repeater and the only talk group that's static on it is talk group 91, but you don't want to talk on talk group 91. You want to talk on talk group 3000. Well, you can do that. What you do is you program your radio for talk group 3000 with the other relevant information, i.e. the frequencies of the repeater, the color codes and appropriate time slots. And then you set your radio to talk group 3100, and you key up. And that will immediately create a dynamic talk group connection on that repeater connecting you to talk group thirty one, or 3100 or 3,000, whatever I said. So then you'll have access to talk group 3,000, which will stay connected as long as you're using it. And then there's a 15-minute timeout period. So if that talk group goes idle for 15 minutes, then that dynamic talk group will simply go away, and any traffic that's coming in on that talk group will no longer be broadcast through the repeater. And like I said, on your on your hotspot at home, you can do this as well. You just key up, and if your if your radio has the ability to set uh, talk groups at will, you know you just key in talk group thirty one hundred or you know five thousand six or whatever, press the PTT, and it will create a ty- a dynamic talk group link, and you'll be connected to that talk group. You talk on it until it goes idle for 15 minutes then that talk group goes away keeping in mind that if your radio is configured for other talk groups that if traffic comes in to that repeater or hotspot from any of those other statically assigned talk groups you'll hear those as well so hopefully i'm not butchering this too bad
3: <laughs> <laughs> is any of this making any sense at all it is sounds everybody just good, good okay but my brain's hurting
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Trying to think it all in. Yeah, it's it's a little complicated. I mean, I kind of get it. I, you know, the complex part, I guess, is all the code plugging stuff,
1: right? And like I said, once once you sort of, you, there's usually you have that sort of aha moment where you you suddenly grasp the code plug, and then everything falls into place, and then you never have an issue with it again. But you definitely have to get to that eureka moment. And until you get there, this all seems like Greek um yeah i mean let me let me see if I can distill it down into uh I don't know a quick summation I guess so you have a channel which is usually a talk group. I have not actually made a personal contact via dmR like you know from me to another ham directly. It's always been through a talk group mm-hmm. so let's assume for the for the moment that we're talking about talk group ninety one just because that happens to be a very popular brandmeister talk group so Uh, so you have a, you have a contact, which is a group contact on talk group 91 and you call it, uh, worldwide because that's what it is. (laughs) So then you'll create a channel and what that channel will do is it will wrap that contact in frequency, color code, and time slot information so that you can associate that contact with a particular repeater or a a particular hotspot, which means you could have that contact associated with many, many channels, depending on how many DMR-enabled devices you're going to be connecting to. And then to separate all of that, you divide those channels into zones, so that if you're in Billings, for example, using the Billings DMR repeater, which I know doesn't exist, but just go with me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll pretend. Uh, Well, Right, we'll pretend. So you have 16 channels defined, which connect to 16 different contacts that you'll be accessing through the Billings DMR repeater. Then you'll have another zone, which has those same 16 contacts wrapped around 16 channels because they're on a different frequency, color code, and time slot when you're in Bozeman using the DMR repeater there. And then those same 16 contacts will be wrapped in 16 more channels in a third zone when you're connecting to them using your hotspot at home. So that's 48 channels for 16 contacts because you're going to be accessing those talk groups in three different locations. Then, of course, each one of those channels will be assigned a scan list or a receive group, depending on your preference, so that you can hear things that are not necessarily on the channel you're currently on, which you know is useful, especially for AMCOM. Or if you actually want to hear local chat while your radio is tuned to talk group ninety one. Now, when you if you if you hear something on one of those other channels, you're obviously gonna to have to literally turn the dial on your radio to whatever that channel is to get it to transmit on that talk group. Uh but that should be relatively straightforward.
0: Hmm.
1: But <laughs> alrighty. Yeah. And like I said, then, then there's the one more thing, which was the, the addendum to that, which was static and dynamic talk groups. Every, like I said, every repeater or hotspot will have some talk groups statically defined, which means any traffic that comes into those talk groups will be transmitted through the repeater or hotspot. Mm-hmm. And as long as your radio is correctly set for the right frequency, time slot and color code, you'll hear it. And then there are dynamic ones which happen whenever you turn when someone tunes their radio to a particular talk group and keys up that will create a dynamic talk group which will last for however long there's communication on it up to a period of fifteen minutes of inactivity and then
3: it will go away so that's that <laughs> clear as mud I bet I bet it is. <laughs> it's like every time i hear more about it's like i just don't want
0: to do that (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna
3: we're gonna try to do some deep
1: dives into some other modes like Yezu system fusion which are a whole lot easier to use than dmr (laughs) yeah um but i will say to to sort of wrap this in a nice little bow i guess um pi star is a deep dive that we did back in episode number 301 and Pi Star is a way to help you get into DMR really, really quickly. It allows you to take a Raspberry Pi with a GPIO hat or a USB-connected um, UHF or VHF device so that you can connect one of these DMR radios, you know, just in your house. And you can get onto the Brandmeister network or the DMR Plus network from your house with a $100 handy talkie and about $100 worth of, uh, you know, networking equipment. And, and then A trillion
3: can, dollars worth of infrastructure. <laughs> right, <laughs> then
1: you then you can use a whole lot of other people's infrastructures to to talk to people to you know to essentially not talk to people on a different network.
3: Or <laughs> you could just connect to our Mumble server and do it for free. That's true. <laughs> you can do that.
1: Too. It's it's kind of fun. Cheating. It, it is, and uh, <laughs> one nice thing that is a feature of Pi-Star that we touched on in the in that episode. Is that if, for example, you have a DMR radio, you can connect to other networks. And that's a nice functionality. So if you want to experience what it's like to talk to somebody on Yazu System Fusion, but all you've got is a DMR handheld, PiStar can cross link. It can also cross link to NXDN. And uh, if you're using one of those other technologies like NXDN or Yazu System Fusion, you can do the opposite. You can talk to people on a DMR network and so forth. Um, and again, PiStar is a whole, you know, a whole other topic. And we deep deep dove into it in 301, and we will most likely be deep diving into it again, because I don't really think we got it all sorted out in the first episode. Um, I think I'll stick with uh, Peanut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Peanut's for doing D-Star, so yeah, I mean...
3: Well, no, it has stuff, doesn't it? Isn't it non-D-Star stuff, too?
1: I don't think so. I think it's strictly D-Star. However... There's a, there's another topic that we didn't talk about and I'm not going to go into it because it's one of those things that we could just do another deep dive about. I didn't, I talked about talk groups because that's like the, really the functionality of DMR and, and what everybody uses. But there's also the concept of reflectors and reflectors are a way to take one network and reflect it to another network. So you can cross from, for example, D star to certain DMR talk groups because there are repeaters out there in the world that will allow the tr- the information to pass between the two networks. So there is a way for example for somebody using Peanut on an Android device to talk to somebody on certain DMR talk groups using a reflector, but that's way beyond the scope of what we're doing here, so I'm not going to get into it. But there are ways to do it. And I, I gotta say, I'm still not 100% clear on reflectors. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna educate my, educate myself a little more before, we, before we start talking about reflectors. Defer that to, uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> to our deep dive on probably. reflectors. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I think we have somebody that's done those before or has linked multiple, uh, channels before. Who is that? Somebody in the chat room now, you mean? Not in the chat room, but has been on the show. Isn't that the KD2 PPG that does that? Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He talked to us about that, and, and Andy knows about uh, MW0 MWZ. He knows about reflectors as well. So we'll we'll get somebody on who's uh who's super knowledgeable about reflectors, and we'll talk about those at some point. Cool. Um. So yeah. So we'll just uh, sit here and uh, fumble about for a minute or two, and look in the chat room, make sure nobody has any um questions about what i said they're probably just trying to uh parse it at
3: this point <laughs> um no they said you've been covering the topic very well and uh ted's already said eureka i need a drink <laughs> so uh i think he had his eureka moment <laughs> it's, it's really hard to discuss
1: this topic i will say it's really hard to discuss this topic um this way in an audio format when you When you hear somebody saying the things that I'm saying with a YouTube video and actually doing the point and click while they're saying it, it's a lot easier to grasp. (laughs) Um, so there, there are going to be lots and lots of links in the show notes for this episode They go to the different manufacturers, the different code plug editors, YouTube, you, you know, tutorials on how to set up DMR and stuff like that. Uh, and some more, uh, conceptual videos about dmr so there'll be plenty of resources here um to get you started in dmr if there's something you want to try i mean i'm glad i started with dmr because like i said there's lots of different digital fm networks there's dmr there's system fusion there's nxdn there's p25 um i'm i'm personally glad i started with dmr because it's by far the hardest of them to grasp yeah uh, but in doing so I found that System Fusion is way better. So. <laughs> <laughs> system Fusion and, and Wires X are really cool and the the barrier to entry is much, much lower. Uh, so so we'll definitely be doing a deep dive into system fusion and wires X an upcoming episode, but I would recommend for anybody who wants to get into this digital technology, start with DMR, because when you start with DMR and finally understand it, you'll find the rest of the world is really, really easy. (laughs)
3: So, yeah, start with the most complex one first.
1: Yeah, exactly. That that way you can at least say you understand it, right? I mean, (laughs) all right. So with that, I think I've talked way long enough about (laughs) about DMR. And I haven't even, I mean, I've, I've sort of scratched the surface, but, th- I mean, I've talked about, like, 15 things that you set in a code plug editor. Oh, speaking of code plug editors, the idea behind them is um, you, you set all of the code you need to set, and then you write it as a block to your radio. It's not piecemeal. So if you need to make a change to one thing, but like, let's say you fat-fingered a frequency on a channel, and you change that, then you have to save that and write the entire code plug back to the radio. <laughs> it's not—it's not like you can change that one little bit of data. Um, luckily, writing code plugs to and from the radio are, doesn't take very long. Uh, you're talking about two or three seconds, um, so it's not a big deal. But it is—it is a monolithic piece of code that you have to write and read. Um, and in the case of, like, for example, the the titara md380 there's a usb file that comes with the code plug editor it comes with edit cp that you have to put into your udev rules so that when you plug the radio via usb cable into your computer it knows that that's the radio because there's no other way to find it but luckily the documentation on that's pretty straightforward interesting so so that's pretty much that that's a that's our deep dive into dmr and We'll, we'll monitor the chat room here while we're going through announcements and feedback in case anybody has any questions, we can come back to them. And of course, there's always email, uh, that you can send us feedback or send us questions and we'll do our best to respond appropriately to those. And like I said, the show notes will have, uh many various, uh, detailed resources for getting into DMR that will hopefully supplement this little audio introduction. And in the meantime, we're going to let somebody read some feedback so I can stop talking for a minute. (laughs) Bill, you can do the first one from Gene.
3: Sure. Our first email is from Gene, a good friend of the show, BX8AAD. He says, Dear Russ and Company, I am working on my long-term programming project, a new typing tutor for the Kanji input method of typing Chinese. I am currently teaching using one, uh, one I wrote in Visual Basic for Windows. I want to write the next one in Python and make it more flexible uh, for use in multiple platforms etc. In the process of looking into the unicode representation of chinese characters I became aware of the wide variety of character sets just for chinese. I wrote a simple script to strip the characters and typing codes from fcitx's uh, kanji3.mb and kanji5.mb files and dump them into a text file. I noticed that many of the characters in the text could not be displayed in my Linux system, that was set for uh, the language ZH uh, underscore TW, UTF-8. Uh, I guess Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah, Taiwan. And uh, I was surprised that uh, opening the same file under Windows 10 allowed me to view all the characters. So I'm asking for a deep dive into languages and their representations and settings under Linux. Since amateur radio DX nature can lead to communications with people accustomed to a variety of languages, I think this topic would be a fitting for the show. I'll attach the text file for you to view, though it may be Greek to you. Ha, 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 ha. 73 uh, from Gene, BX8AAD. And I'm assuming you looked at this file and it exploded on your things too, or no? <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, the reason I put this in here, Gene
1: sent this email to us in April. Oh, Jesus. Um, and I have not had a chance to get anywhere near looking at this because just, just looking at the topic itself, I was like, I don't even know how to, to approach (laughs) this topic. Mm -hmm. But today I looked at that file that he sent and I looked at it just doing a less on it in Gnome terminal. Yeah. And it's like 30 something thousand lines long. (laughs) Um, Now, I will say that I did not look at every single line in that file, but every single line that I did look at, I could see the characters. Every single one. Yeah. So the reason I put this in here now is because I would like to try and get to this topic Mm -hmm. and maybe discuss languages and, you know, um, UTF-8 and Unicode and things like that. They'd probably be interesting topics. But I need to know from Gene what, like, editor or what visualization agent he was using to view this in Linux. Yes. Because, like I said, in a GNOME terminal, I saw all the characters. There
3: were no, there were no missing characters. Yeah. And especially when you get into differences in encoding, you can end up with uh, a very different set of results based upon your presentation viewer.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and of course, especially he was just set-
3: between UTF16
1: and eight. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, and of course, he he was uh, set to Taiwanese encoding in his um, language settings, and I was, of course, set to U.S. English. Um, so it may have something to do with the Taiwanese encoding, but in U.S. English UTF8,
3: it showed everything. So yeah, but I'm saying the file could probably even be UTF16. It still gets interpreted in eight. But in UTF16, right. there's some some leading characters that flake out some uh, some editors and actually parsing programs. Languages do not like to parse a UTF16 file unless you specifically say it's UTF16. Right,
1: and I can send you the file that he sent me. Um, it actually has it has the like the name of the character, the actual Unicode, and then like a hexadecimal representation of the Unicode and stuff like that in it. So, oh, it's just like a
3: character map, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a character map. So it might be worth looking at if you want to look at it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I'll cool. that with it. <laughs>
3: Did uh, it, Cheryl Cheryl's head explode over there or
0: something like that? She's no, so quiet. No. No,
3: there <laughs> she was uh, in and out. So <laughs> <laughs> she's like, "This is so stupid. I'm leaving." <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Well, he won't let me anywhere near his radio. So yeah, that, that, no.
3: that is such a crock of
1: Don't GPS. touch the
0: buttons. Don't touch the buttons. <laughs> oh no, yeah, he won't let me anywhere near <laughs> anything. So that, that
3: is such a crock.
0: Uh, what I'm going to plug it into
3: iTunes you. and then start loading some music on it.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's the where's the where's the picture button on? Uh, I take a picture. Jeez. Where's the Facebook button? I need the like button. Where's my like button on my radio? All right.
1: So anyway, Gene, if you could give us a little more information about what you're trying to do and what utilities you've used, at least on the Linux side, we might be able to uh, address
0: this. If he sent this to you six months ago?
1: He, he sent me a follow-up to it much more recently.
0: So. Okay. As saying, <laughs> yeah, like he's five probably, months ago. Yeah, yeah, or maybe four.
1: But, you know. uh, it's been within a month. And he said he hadn't made any progress, really, with the project. So
0: Okay. Uh, As you are saying, are you sure he didn't figure it out on his own? So,
1: no, I think he would have said that.
0: Well, yeah. He, Gene and
1: I talk like once a Yeah, week. yeah. He's, he's pretty good about staying in contact. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I'm going to do the next one, and then we'll let Cheryl do one. Uh, (laughs) all right there's a reason i'm doing the next one um so this is an email from james whiskey Four juliet echo delta he says hi russ and this is about the episode speaking of episode 301 oh no this wasn't about 301 this was uh the ansible episode which was 307 yeah um this was in response to that uh he says (laughs) yeah he says my my favorite britishism is beta uh, we pronounce it like the occupation of someone that puts worms on fish hooks for a living <laughs> with enough time in grade. He becomes a master. And I thought both of these were funny because in both cases, it's not only an, uh, an English ism or it's a, or an Americanism. It's also a New Englandism because anywhere else in the country, it would be beta. But in New England, where I'm from, it's a beta. <laughs> and, uh, then he says the Brits say it like it's an 82 caddy, as in, beta but again that's uh, new englandism because there's no r on it it's the uh the beta that we buy for 300 dollars so we can keep the real car off the road for the winter jim so yeah beta and beta for sure and uh
3: inventory yeah, inventory In, yeah, inventory 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 what do you say inventory no he inventory. said inventory inventory
1: inventory is the way he said it yeah, and i kept inventory. saying inventory inventory (laughs) did did you did you listen back to that episode
3: yeah i always listen to all the yeah i know but did you hear did you
1: hear when he said under his breath i hate you so much right
3: now. (laughs) 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 oh Oh, yeah we were so bad we are
1: (laughs) well he was talking to me
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Because you were talking most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> that one went on so long. I had to like take the rest of the thing in the car. So that's right. Yeah. Right. Mean, yeah. Because
0: yeah, you had somewhere to go. I, like, I gotta so. go.
3: I pick up my daughter from school. Christ. I didn't know it was gonna run this long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it went for what, like nine hours? Or something? Yeah. It, was
3: a, it, was it wasn't a quite one, that bad. It's probably almost as long as this one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. This one's getting. <laughs> so let's move on to the next. All right. Though, so one. Cheryl's
1: gonna read our next bit of feedback. Okay.
0: Our next uh, email is from Tom, November 4, November Alpha India.
1: That's hotel. November oh, 4, Hotel Alpha India. What did I say? November. <laughs> you, you said, said November twice.
0: <laughs> oh, that's an H. That is sorry. an H. <laughs> yep. um, all right. Zoom in. Yeah, let me zoom in.
1: Put on your trifocals so you can.
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah. Okay. Now I can't see it.
1: What do you mean no, you can't see it?
0: If I zoom in where I can actually read it, it won't let me.
1: Well, that it's it's in for A- HAI. That's all you need to do. All, right, all right, all right. Well, no, I
0: still have to be able to read the text.
1: <laughs> well, that's true.
0: But i it won't. Th- there's something wrong.
1: You're gonna oh, have no. to do this. Just do c- Control Zero.
0: It, yet when I do that, it locks up.
3: Control Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'll read it real
1: quick.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay,
1: Bill, Bill will read
3: it. <laughs> okay, this email is from Tom, November 4, at Hotel Alpha India, and he says, How do I get on your Discord channel? It'll be fun to get on there while you're taping the show. You don't remember me, but I talked to Russ in Dayton last spring. I talked about my Squirrel Hunter project. I haven't made much progress on it, but I'm still working on the Raspi SDR Airspy solution. I've been learning a lot from y'all's show, and so thank you. I'll be, uh, I will be getting, I will be getting something together soon. I really enjoyed the episode about Ansible. Hey, we were just talking about that. Good stuff. We're getting into all of this stuff at work. So great stuff. Thanks. I used the, that cursus logger. Forgot what it was called. I forgot the episode name of the software. That was, uh, which one was that? Uh, he's using it for contest. so maybe YFK test. Oh, YFK test. That's probably the one, yeah. Yeah, for a late Wednesday night uh, CWT, uh CW Ops uh, mini contest that he uh, did from a hotel in New Jersey. How about that uh, for portable ops? I can't install anything on my work laptop, but I can install it all I want on my VMs. So (laughs) it was old, but it worked. It did uh, what you needed for the contest logger. I only logged 20 QSOs, but I was running 5 watts on an NFED halfway inside of a hotel courtyard in northern New Jersey. So, I was surprised I got out at all. So, thanks in 73 from Tom. So, and we did send him back the... I sent him the Discord channel back in a reply. So, yes. hopefully hopefully he can get on here. <laughs> and, um sorry, Tom,
1: but I actually do remember talking to you. And we actually mentioned your project on the show shortly after Hamvention. So, Aha. You, can't, like, you can't say we don't remember you because... <laughs> At least speaking for myself, I do remember you. (laughs) I remember the entire conversation, and I have your call sign on your card over here on my desk. So, Sweet. All right. And finally, have you gotten your stuff straightened out now? Okay. We'll work on that later. (laughs) Uh, Finally, we have an email from Rich K0EB, former host of the show, and who's kind of said he might come back and be on the show every now and again. We'll see. Ooh. Yeah. He says, Have you all seen this? And he posted a link to Grid Tracker, uh, 73 from Rich, K0EB. And Grid Tracker is one of those integration packages that goes along with WSJTX uh, that keeps track of CQs and propagation information and all that fun stuff that has to do with anything that you do with WSJTX. Um, Bill sent him back an email saying that he thought we had mentioned it on the show and blah blah blah, but I don't
3: think we did. I thought I did when we uh, did the JT alert.
1: Yeah, we we talked about alert JT and JT alarm, JT alarm. That's JT what alarm. I can remember what
3: that was. I thought we had a. Uh, I thought I, I don't remember saying anything time. about grid
1: tracker. Maybe we did, but I don't remember actually seeing it personally. Because ah. uh, when I loaded it today, which I did, it did not look familiar to me. Uh, oh but it does work so that's cool <laughs> um yeah it's kind of a neat integration i don't it the the interface is a little weird i don't know what the what it's written in i think it's a
3: cute interface maybe on top oh really um that, that wouldn't surprise me if it's uh you know cross-platform
1: yeah but the it's just i don't know it looks a little strange it kind of looks um uh, very web 1.0 kind of thing um yeah. But that's not to say that it doesn't work. <laughs> it does work. Well, actually what it reminds me of is Windows three X. <laughs> that's kind of what it reminds me of. Even better. <laughs> uh but it does it does do what it's supposed to do. So there you go. It integrates with WSJTX, gives you connection to, uh connections with a PSK reporter and call sign lookups and propagation reports and cool. uh W S J T X um you know uh, path tracking and grid square so locating a, and all that stuff. Bad so. letter
3: in there. Oh, that was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up the link. <laughs> that up. Uh, it might have been me. Who knows? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll recheck that one out. Maybe we'll include that in our uh, LHS topics for uh, for next week. Yeah, it's a pretty cool application, so we should probably talk about it. Yeah, I don't know if it deserves a full deep dive.
1: It, it may not,
3: but yeah, it is what it is. Definitely look good. at it.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. With that, we have come down to the end of our program. We got through the DMR deep dive. We got through our announcements, which there weren't any of, and the feedback. So with that, I think we are going to say thank you to the folks who showed up in the chat room tonight. We had uh, Daryl, KI4LLA. We had Chris, otherwise known as SimStick2. Don, KC9ZMY. H uh, Reflex. we're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ted, WA0EIR. So thanks everybody who showed up in the chat room tonight and kept things lively in there while I was beating my head against explaining DMR. And we hope you will tune in to the next episode, which will be our short topics episode followed of course by the next weekender. And we're all looking forward to that. We've got a great recipe coming up. Cheryl sure made it today and we're not telling you anything about it. You'll have to listen to that episode. So Sweet. with that, We're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This has been episode number 310 of Linux in the Ham Shack.
3: I'm Russ, K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO.
3: And I'm Bill, four 4rd 73